Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. The stock market's going to return 8 to 10% a year, whatever, and that's going to provide me with an $80,000 income, and that's just not what's going to happen. In most cases. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with a three-time guest, well, soon-to-be three-time guest, Holly Williams. Holly, how are you doing today? Hello, Theo. It's so good to be here with you. Oh, thanks for joining us again. So her last episode was episode 1600. Make sure you check that out. And today is Sunday. So we'll be doing a skill set Sunday, talking about a specific skill that our guest has. And we'll be talking about her book called Hidden Investing, which is secrets that the top 1% know. So we're going to get some of Holly's secrets today. Before we get into that, As a reminder, she has spent 25 years in advertising as an executive while slowly dabbling in real estate. She has two decades of real estate investing experience. Currently, her portfolio is in New York, Texas, Mississippi, and the Carolinas. She is based in New York City. And to learn more about her book and to get yourself a copy of her book that we'll be discussing today, you can go to hiddeninvesting.com slash book. So Holly, do you mind telling us really quickly what you've been up to since we've last been on the show and then we'll hop into that book. That's great. And I thank you again for having me on the show. I've been involved in syndications as long as Joe has. I was one of his first investors, as your listeners may know or may not know. And then I began to work with him and kind of learn along with him at the same, kind of at the same time, although he's always been more advanced than me. So little did I know, I knew that real estate investing was an amazing way to build wealth. I knew about the tax benefits. I knew a lot of those things. But if you have a full-time career, I was not focused on it, right? It's very difficult. It's a ton of work. So when I discovered multifamily syndications, It's grown beyond my wildest dreams, and it's changed my life by investing passively in syndications. I was able to build wealth, and I watched my parents along the same time do everything that we're taught in school. I went to business school. I didn't learn anything. I didn't even know what syndication was, and when I started learning about it, the only reason I really got into it because I believed in Joe. And throughout this journey, I've realized that we are taught in school, or at least I was, growing up in a middle-class family and going to a state college, all of those things that we do. I was taught many, many, many things. And a good portion of the things that I was taught to do from a financial perspective were really myths. And it didn't work for my parents. The whole system, basically, is really set up for us to die broke. When we put money in a 401k, and we retire through a financial advisor, works with us on a retirement plan, all of the things that you're, quote, unquote, supposed to do, it involves withdrawing a certain amount of money every year. As a matter of fact, the IRS requires you when you're retired to withdraw this money. Well, so when you do that, it's taxed at a full boat rate, which I didn't realize. And once you sell the stock, it's gone. So I think in our minds, and I know in my parents' minds, if you have a million-dollar nest egg, we think, oh, 
the stock market's going to return 8 to 10% a year, whatever, and that's going to provide me with an $80,000 income, and that's just not what's going to happen in most cases. So it comes down to luck, and luck is not a real great strategy. <laughs> You know? So the more I learned about syndication, the more I learned that you could invest passively in a private investment and bypass a lot of the huge fees and those sorts of things that Wall Street does. I began to awaken, and the more I looked around, the more I studied and understood and started basically associating myself with people that are very wealthy and did grow up with this kind of learning, right? These guys know there's a whole world out there that you really have to know somebody. It's a club and it really changed my life. And that's how the rich stay rich. So it's just my belief. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a CPA. I'm just a person that's telling my experience here with private investing and my eyes opened up the more I learned what was available. So I decided to write a book about it. I think I heard in that intro, because you said in the book, you go over 10 things that the top 1% know. And I think I caught a few of those in there, but I doubt we'll be able to get through all 10. Maybe starting at the most important and then going down, what are these top 10 myths of investing? So the first sentence in the book is our belief systems run deep. And a good part of the book talks about the mindset of the wealthy. And I'm going to speak for myself, and probably a lot of the listeners can relate to this. We get our values from our families, from what we learn in school, from the media. We're bombarded with all of this. And I go to school, and my antenna go up when I hear, there's an investment opportunity. And I'm like, why didn't I learn about it in school? Why didn't my parents teach me about it? Is this about Bernie Madoff? Because that's all the media tells us about. So the very first thing that happens is that I go back to my view of the world that I was given. And the wealthy, and I'm talking about the people that have generational wealth and grow up understanding what I'm about to say is that their view of the world and their view of how they relate to money, how they look at investing, how they live and what role money plays in their lives is just very different. And they understand a lot more about how money really works. You go to a bank or you go and you invest in a mutual fund or whatever, they're taking that money and they're investing in private investments. So they understand that and they understand how money works and the velocity of money and keeping it moving around and good debt and bad debt. So I go into a lot of those things and there's nothing original in the entire book. But what I'm hoping to do, what my goal with the book is just to open people's eyes and you can research what I'm saying and please refute me, but it's true, <laughs> right? And people tell me, this is too good to be true. This has got to be a scam. This has got to be. And the wealthy know about this because their view of the world is shaped at an earlier stage. The second thing is I was brought up to think that only one person can go to the top or you have to win the spelling bee. We're all very much brought up, or at least me, 
in a scarcity mentality. When you go to work in the corporate world, I got to go up the ladder. And if I go up the ladder, you can't go up the ladder. I'm going to go up the ladder faster than you. And all of those things, well, if you look around, what the wealthy do is they think of a job or whatever as a learning experience and a springboard, and they don't think about that as the end game, or they don't think about getting money as the end. It's a tool to get to where they want to go. So they plan their lives, and they realize that when Jeff Bezos gets wealthy, that he may very well be a jerk. I don't know him, but I will say this. He's not taking anything from me and you. There's a large segment of the population today that wants to redistribute the wealth. And you hear these people see all the time, people win the lottery and then they are broke in five years or whatever. And then you hear stories about how people get wiped out financially and then they were able to build it back, right? Well, it's because of the mindset. If you redistribute wealth, there's a reason it's just never worked in history because it's the mindset first and it's learning about money and it's changing those built-in behaviors that, frankly, society wants us to have because it keeps us working in the cog and the wheel and it keeps the wealthy wealthy. So it's not really a secret. They'll talk about it. Warren Buffett says all the time that he pays a lower tax rate than his secretary does or whatever. And we just go past that. We don't focus on that and, and begin to understand exactly what he's doing. And what he's doing is, yeah, he's buying stocks, but he's not going into his Fidelity account or E-Trade and buying stocks like you and I are. That's not what he's doing. So it's just a very different way of thinking about money. So the first couple of chapters is about that abundance mindset, that way of thinking about money. The 1% was a better title. It's really the 0.5%. I mean, the really, really wealthy people that know how to build generational wealth. And again, what we're taught to do is spend it all and die broke. Perfect. Now, I agree with everything you said. Keep going. So what are some other myths? I'm going to let you talk the most, Holly, because I want you to get as much of these myths out as possible. Sometimes I ramble because I'm passionate about this. At the end of the day, my why is that I watched my parents really follow the rules. And I watched myself follow the rules. I started out filling out the 1040 easy form. 20 years later, I found myself not wealthy in my mind, living in New York City and paying 50% of everything I made in taxes and watching it go poof. So I don't believe that the government is a good steward of my money. Another thing I talk about is the tax code is meant to tell us how much money we owe in taxes. That's not what the tax code's meant to do. The tax code is meant to incentivize us to take certain actions so that we can add value to the economy and grow the economy. And many people smarter than me have figured out the tax code. And it's not my job to decide if it's good or bad. It's my job to follow the laws of the land. When people say that so-and-so is finding a loophole in the tax code or whatever, that's not what they're doing. They're following the laws of the United States of America. So by learning those and learning what the government wants me to do and following what the government wants me to do, 
I add value to my life, to your life. We have employees. We're able to grow wealth. And what's been amazing to me is that I've been able to help people like my brother who grew up just like me. And he's like, oh, my goodness. I've been able to help some of my colleagues in advertising. I'll say, oh, my God, my accountant says it's true. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's true. So that's one myth. The tax code's a gazillion pages long, and 90% of it is how to do things that the government wants us to do. Another chapter is about 9-11 really shaped me, and it shaped a lot of people. I watched people jump out of buildings, and it was terrible, and and I was living in Manhattan, and uh, it just flown in that morning, and it was the worst day. Now, coronavirus is before the pandemic, but I learned a lot from 9-11, right? You learn a little resilience and that all people are not good and you need to trust but verify. And we were all down at ground zero trying to help. And Christy Whitman was the head of the EPA at the time. And she was just conveying probably what she knew. I don't think it was intentional, but she came out and said, okay, there's nothing to worry about. The air is safe at ground zero. So the title of my chapter is the myth is the air is safe at ground zero because Cut to double-digit years later, and I'm attending funerals all the time, and I have friends that are awfully sick. So the air was not safe at Ground Zero, and the experts didn't know. And we're seeing it today with coronavirus. Do we wear the mask? Do we not wear the mask? What kind of mask do we wear? How is this spread? How is it not spread? You can fly on a plane. You cannot fly on a plane. So all of those things, I don't think that the quote-unquote experts are intentionally going out and saying, I'm going to lie to these people so that a lot of people would get this thing and die, right? But I do think that they really believe that that's what they're saying. But they're not sure. Well, it's the not sure part that they don't really tell us. So we're not taught to really think critically anymore in school. And we're taught to take what's given to us and go follow it. And You can still be very respectful of people, and the experts are very smart people, and you can still be respectful of people, but not just take everything they say as the Bible. And I would urge you not to take everything I'm saying. This is my experience. This is one person. So I'm hoping that this will spark some in people's minds that, hey, I'm not the only one talking about it. And if you start researching it, you can see that pretty quickly. I think that last one is interesting because I've talked to a lot of people who say that their best ever advice is they have all the qualifiers. They say, don't listen to every single person. They say, you're going to find people who say to not do this specific niche or say not to get into real estate in general. And they're going to have all their different reasons why. And to, as you mentioned, be respectful, but make your own decisions. Correct. And there are many, many, many ways to invest in real estate and in anything. And that goes back to looking at your values, looking at what values we were given and the map of the world that we're given that maybe doesn't work as well anymore. So my husband, for instance, was taught and it was drilled into him that a mortgage is bad. A mortgage is bad. You have a paid for house. A mortgage is bad. And you know something? We have two houses that are paid for. Well, I know that that's probably not the best use of that equity. I know all of that. I know all of how we can say, I know all about pulling out money. I know all about how to do that safely. 
But you know something? If it were me, I would do that. But it's not just me. So if it's going to cause my husband to stay up at night and worry, it's just not worth it. So you have to really understand, I've dumped a whole lot of ideas from my map of the world or whatever that I was given. And that's one of them that I realize is probably not the best financial decision, but not everything in life is a financial decision. So you really have to decide what you want and what you feel comfortable doing and the kind of life that you want to live. I get it. I'm surrounded by all this positive thinking and I've done all of that. But my husband isn't and he's not going to. (laughs) It's just not worth it, right? Because I love him and I don't want to cause him to be super stressed about anything. So that has value to me. So... I think it goes back to what kind of investor do you want to be? Where are you in your life? And where I am in my life is about cash flow and capital preservation and a real estate syndication the way that I do it and the way that a lot of other people do it. It's all about not losing money. I need that money for retirement. So to me, that's the kind of real estate investor I am. There is no doubt that you can take a burned out building and it needs a doctor and go in and rehab it and make it beautiful and sell it and triple, quadruple your money. I've made money with appreciation, but you're depending upon the market. So I don't do that today. So it goes back to your values, but what's key, I think, is to understand that. I know what I'm doing when I'm not paying off my mortgage. People say, oh, my God, you've got all this equity. What are you doing sitting on it? And I'm like, hey, listen, it's a personal thing. So I think that you have to really understand what's important to you and what's not. And the wealthy, that's really all they care about is what's important to them. And a lot of it is maybe because they are wealthy. But if you want something, you got to study people that have what you want and do at least a little bit of what they're doing. Exactly. Well, Holly, I wish we'd have gotten through more myths, but it is what it is. I think you said some really good ones. You said a lot that I probably missed. So it's definitely worth re-listening to as well as getting her book. But the ones that I did pull were number one, the mindset and realizing that the wealthy have a certain mindset that they got early on in their lives, most likely. We talk about people with generational wealth and that was passed down to them as opposed to most people are just getting their mindsets from school, from their family, from TV, from whatever. So realizing that and understanding what that wealthy mindset is and getting rid of your values and adding their values. The other one was the scarcity versus the abundance mindset. So the myth was that when you're going out there doing a deal, you're taking that deal from someone else as opposed to having that abundance mindset, which is always another deal. Exactly. What the wealthy have. And you gave a good example with if you were to give someone who doesn't have a wealthy, abundance mindset, a bunch of money, they're just going to lose it all. Whereas the saying that the hardest million is the first million, because once you make your first million, you know how to make it again, even if you lose it all. The other one was the tax code. So the myth is that the tax code is just telling you how to pay your taxes. Where in reality, it's something that's meant to incentivize people to take certain actions to grow the economy and the incentive is paying less taxes. The other one was the myth that the air is safe 
at ground zero. And the thing there is that the experts, while they're smart and should be respected, you need to have critical thinking skills and make your own decisions. So if someone's telling you to not do a deal, just because they're someone you perceive as an expert doesn't mean you should just listen to them. You should still pursue it further because again, they might have different values and things that might be important to them that aren't important to you, which goes into the other myth you said, which is about the mortgage being bad, being good. And the lesson there was that just because something might be good financial advice doesn't mean you should blindly do it. There's other factors that come into play as well. In this case, for you, you believe there might be a better use of that money, but it's not worth doing because it's something your husband isn't comfortable with and your husband is valuable to you. So that is one of your values. So I thought that was really interesting and important as well. And then for all those myths, you said they all kind of just come back to the value. So again, make sure you pick up her book. It's called Hidden Investing. I've got the link. will be in the show notes. Holly, I really appreciate talking to you. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we will talk to you tomorrow. Excellent. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.